having a uh, usual crazy, and uh, I don't know what's wrong with that. It really makes me scratch my head. If you're a super techie, I would love to talk to you about what's going on there, but it's something deep and fiddly. My name's Matt. Uh, I'm one of the leaders here at Hope City, and here we are. We are at the final verse of the final chapter of our series we cunningly called The Final Chapter. Woohoo! This is a momentous moment. But how are we going to conclude 22 months of study? Yes, we've actually spent 22 months working our way through the book of Acts. We started back in January um, 2021. Now, to be fair, we did swap in the letter to the Galatian churches kind of in the middle there. So um, it wasn't quite that long. We put it in where it, where it fit chronologically. But we've been following the story of the very first churches for a long time now. How do we fit in the conclude? With an interactive quiz, of course. Yeah, come on. So grab your phones and uh, it's time, yes, I know, to join us on Slido. You know you want to. Uh, and this is a quiz where there are right answers and wrong answers. Um, no prizes, but penalties for getting the wrong answers. The book of Acts, pretty long story, right? I read back through the whole thing in preparation. It's pretty substantial, but how long exactly? How long exactly is the book of Acts? Oh, if you've been a student, you'll have some sense for how many words go into essays of different sizes, right? A um, hundred words, a thousand words, 10,000 words perhaps. Okay, how long is Acts? And millennials, no Googling it. It's not fair. How long is the book of Acts? Nobody thinks it's a mere 6,000 words. Everyone's confidence more than 6,000 words. I'm really surprised. I didn't really have any sense for this at all. Um, which is why I had to ask Google what the answer was. <laughs> but you're not allowed to. Um, yes, well done, everybody. 18,450 words. There you go, 18,450 words. Covers uh, a lot of ground, right? It covers a lot of ground, mostly while we've been following this guy, Paul, on his three epic missionary journeys. You've seen this map before, and all these arrows wiggling all over the place. This is where the Apostle Paul has been in these first few years. The question, of course, is... How far do you think he traveled? How far do you think he traveled? To give you some context, Land's End to John O'Groats, 837 miles. Did he travel more than 837 miles? All the way around the earth, 24,900 miles. Did he, did he clock up 24,900 miles? What do you think? Oh, 7, 10, 4, 13. Oh, could go either way. I'm very impressed with your audience participation. You guys are great. Oh, oh, it could go either way, but 7,900 miles is the top answer, and 7,900 is right. That's a long way. Well done, you people. You're very effective. So we've got the right number of words. We've got the right number of miles. It covers lots of different topics as well. So looking back, what do you think the dominant topic was in the book of Acts? Well, that's a bit of a subjective question, isn't it? The dominant topic. So instead, what I want to ask you, because I'll have data, is what is the most common word in the book of Acts? So here are the top eight, okay? Here's the top eight words, which is the most common word. I took out the, and, and but, and things like that, okay? But which is the most common word apart from that? Uh, I put them in alphabetical order to minimize your chances of cunningly figuring this one out. What do you reckon? What do you reckon? Acts is about Jesus. Acts is about the Lord. Acts is about people. Oh, there are just a few moments more. Your last chance. Your last chance to vote. Well, this is fascinating because do you know what the, the most common word um, actually is? 
it is poor. The most common word in the book of Acts is poor. That's a bit surprising. It might feel a bit odd, really. But think about how much he's been narrating his journeys for the second half of the book. But if you feel like it's a bit funny, this is a book about Paul. That's odd. Then if you, Paul's 172 occurrences. If you take God, 163. Lord, 103. Jesus, 64. Spirit, 74. Then there's much more God in here than Paul. So that's reassuring, isn't it? That's, that's what there ought to be going on here. And... Uh, Sorry, I've got a power off issue here. Power on! No, flat battery issue is what I've got there. Right, I'm going to need to switch devices just now. Apologies. So, I wanted to ask you now, final question. What kind of story is it? What kind of story is it? How would you characterize it? Sorry, let me just uh, get my stuff together. And, oh man. I've had a tech fail. My bad. Apologies. I just need to connect to a different network and we'll be fine. Here we go. Refresh. Making you wait. Apologies. Okay. Now I have power. Right. Okay. What kind of story? How would you characterize it? It's not a romance, right? It's clearly not a a sci-fi. It's not much of a a fantasy. Um, Not a period drama, really, is it? It's history, but it's not simply history. So as we close out the book of Acts, I want to persuade you today that Acts is fundamentally a growth story. It's fundamentally a growth story. You might be thinking, what do you mean a growth story? Well, let me give you an example. Right, I had the privilege of being a part of a growth story earlier in my career before getting into this church thing. Um, I and my wife, Rachel, got to be a part of the early days of Amazon. And we, we didn't join right away at day one. Amazon started a long time back, 1996, where this guy, Jeff, who runs it, was boxing up books by himself and posting them by himself from his garage you know, and uh, innovating and adding things like a table to box the books on so his knees weren't so sore at the end of the day. We joined in 1999, still early days. So when I joined Amazon, um, Amazon only sold books in the UK and I was part of launching these things. Um, Youngsters, do you know what these are? These are like physical objects, shiny, that spin and they have music on them. It's weird. Before there was streaming, there were CDs. So I was part of launching music in the UK and they just launched, Amazon just launched their first app. Who's installed an app? Has everyone installed an app? Yeah, well, they just launched their first app for this. Who remembers this device? Yeah, the Palm Pilot. This was really cool. If you had a shirt pocket, you could keep your Palm Pilot and then click. They just launched their very first one. And um, I watched the stock price go from uh, about $60 when we joined to over 300 going through about 6 on the way, which was pretty scary. And, and um, if you look at this chart, I left in 2011, which is like... Bit of a sad time to leave, isn't it? The chair is like totally up and to the right after that. But uh, I left in 2011. Missed missed that. Um, They have been selling hundreds of items, thousands of items, millions of items, billions of items. A big part of most people's everyday life now from a totally insignificant thing. Most ways you look at it, that is a growth story, right? That's a growth story. Well, Acts isn't exactly like that. There's no stock price. There's no huge set of warehouses. But fundamentally, Acts is a growth story. It's a spirit-empowered, spirit-directed growth story. Now, why does it matter that Acts is a growth story? Because we, too, are a part of this same story. But I'm getting ahead of myself. 
It's a growth story, and I want to highlight some of the things about the growth we followed through the book of Acts. So first, I said it's a spirit-empowered growth. Now, if you were to rewind to the beginning of the book of Acts, if you can remember where it happens, the beginning of the book of Acts, you find 120 disciples disheartened, confused, cowering in a room. Now, they have heard from and seen the resurrected Jesus, but now he's gone again. That's not a growth story. But he, he left telling them, he says, wait, wait for a gift promised by God the Father. Wait until you have received power. Right away, you can see this is not a growth story built on clever human plans. Not a, a carefully thought out strategy that the disciples put together and then executed, sequentially building this massive empire over the entire world. It's not the result of human ingenuity leading to a better product or anything like that. The disciples were not going anywhere by themselves. In fact, it feels pretty crazy to me that Jesus put the disciples in the driving seat of this whole thing on center stage rather than taking that role himself, right? Jesus rises from the dead. He's like, I'm back, kind of Arnie style. And then he could lead the whole missionary endeavor, the whole expanding church. Wouldn't that have been cool? But that's not how he chooses to do it. Instead, he puts these disciples in the center stage. And these disciples, let's face it, are pretty flaky. They don't have a good track record. And just like the last little time before we get to this stage, they've all deserted him. They've denied they even know who he is. They've liked it. They're hiding. But Jesus chooses to write his growth story with his disciples center stage. Now, how can that work? How can that be true? Well, the growth starts with God keeping that promise with the Holy Spirit poured out on the disciples on the day of Pentecost. That very day, as we read through, we found about 3,000 were added to their number, Acts 2.41. Now, that is growth. The disciples are center stage. God's not going around them. He's not working apart from them. But fundamentally, he is the power behind them. He's the power within them. He's transforming, empowering the disciples. He's establishing the church. He's directing it, driving its spread. The, the very first verse of the whole book of Acts says this. In my former book, Theophilus, that's the guy that he's writing to. In my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. The first verse in Acts underlines the point. Luke, our writer, says he wrote about all Jesus began to do, and the implication is Jesus is still doing. He began to do stuff, and he's still doing. We call this book Acts for short. Uh, The longer title is uh, Acts of the Apostles, is how it's normally thought of. But it might be better to think about it as Acts of God. Jesus is still doing. Jesus is still teaching through the Holy Spirit, within the disciples. But this means that God deserves all the honor, all the praise, all the glory for whatever happens. It's a spirit-empowered growth story. But it's not just spirit-empowered. I want to tell you that it is a spirit-directed growth story. See, growth comes in lots of different flavors. Uh, different dimensions, right? Like me, there's this up-down growth. I haven't managed very much of that for the last 20 years or so. And this is this in-out growth that is much, much easier, at least in, in, in one direction. Now, the growth story in Acts is growth in terms of numbers. There's absolutely one of the things, if you wanted to chart, that you would see Luke, our author, has all sorts of numbers through us throughout the book. 
But it's also a story about other kinds of growth. There's growth across borders. We see the good news about Jesus spreading out. In the eighth verse of the book, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's the city where the whole thing starts. Judea and Samaria, that's the surrounding regions. And then the ends of the earth, that's everything else. How's that for a kind of geographic picture of what's meant to be going on here? And the Spirit directs this. If you know the story, think about um, Paul having a vision of the man from Macedonia saying, come on over here. That's geographic direction, geographic growth directed by the Spirit. But I want to tell you that more important than that geographic growth, and I think probably even more important than the numeric growth, more emphasized at least, is the growth across cultural boundaries and and most critically across the Jew-Gentile cultural boundary, the Jews and the non-Jews. If you think about where the emphasis is in Luke's writing, what gets the most attention, what gets the biggest word count, particularly if you think about what Luke takes as worth repeating, it is that boundary crossing that gets the emphasis. Think about Peter's story about how the Spirit leads him into the home of a Gentile, the home of a non-Jew, to share the message about Jesus. He leads Peter across what was a, a hard cultural boundary. Peter says as a part of his speech, you know that we do not associate with Gentiles, right? We can't eat with you. We can see how significant that boundary crossing is because it's repeated for us. Chapter 10, the story's narrated. Chapter 11, Luke tells Peter retelling the same story, almost word for word, as he explains his actions, because they were so controversial, because he was crossing such a huge boundary. Now, you might think repetition's easy, right? Copy-paste, copy-paste, control-C, control-V, it's done. But it's major emphasis back at this stage. Luke's not sat on his ye olde laptop, typing away ye olde book of Acts. That's not how it works. The whole thing is handwritten. It's handwritten, so duplicating a substantial story with lots of detail means lots of exercise for the hand. The stuff is written on is reasonably expensive, so there's a cost implication. And then every copy of the Bible that's made at this early stage is a copy by hand. Do you think people are copying it out going like, and then just go read chapter 10 again rather than writing the whole thing out, right? Save some space, save some time, save some money. But they've duplicated it here. And that's super clear for us that this boundary crossing is really important. That's not the only repeated narrative in Acts, if you think about it. There's also the story about how Paul went from persecutor to preacher. And he was sent particularly to the Gentiles, these non-Jews again. That story is repeated three times. It's repeated three times, like being triple underlined in red. If you had any question about whether it was significant or not, there's your answer. Again, imagine all the copyists copying this out. They're like, oh, not that story again. My hand is so sore. Third time they ran it down, they're like, no. But Luke really wants to emphasize it. So a critical point for us to get at the end of this whole book. This is a growth story. And the growth is across that critical boundary between Jew and Gentile. Why is that such a big deal? Well, Pat taught us last week the hope of Israel, the hope of the Jews, that is. That's the hope of the whole world. God reaches into his broken world, beginning with just one family, 
one specially chosen people, the ancient people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham. And the growth story of Acts, what we see is the culmination of what God had planned all along, that this message of hope for Israel is actually a message of hope for the whole world. Okay, spirit-empowered, spirit-directed, but it's not simply a growth story. If you've ever seen these kind of telltale stock charts, ups and downs in different colors. It's not universally a growth story. Here's what I mean. We see the good news about Jesus shared again and again. We get to watch this happening over and over in the book of Acts. And almost every time, some respond. Some, respect, uh, some, re- some accept the invitation into hope and into life through Jesus' death and resurrection. It's a growth story, right? But almost every time as well, some reject it. The message of hope is not universally welcomed. So when you think about what sort of narrative Acts gives us, what sort of picture it gives us of this growth story, what it doesn't give us is a 149-0 walkover football match, which incidentally is the highest score in a football match formerly ever according to the Guinness Book of World Records right this isn't like a this isn't like a movie conclusion you know the last scene in the movies where the unstoppable hero simply walks through everything and then punches the bad guy down and that's the end of it he doesn't even slow down or pause for breath Acts does not narrate the spread of the message of Jesus like it is unopposed unstoppable and by the end of the book it's all done There are dramatic advances, absolutely. 3,000 in one day, right back at that um, Pentecost Foundation Day. A a great number of Jews and Greeks respond and believe in Iconium, one of Paul's first missionary journeys. But it's just that's, that's not the only story. It's not every story. It's not even nearly every story. In Athens critical place of learning and wisdom in the ancient world, Paul gives this great and famous speech. Seems like only a few respond. Seems like there's not even a church at the back of that one. Uh, More recently, we watched Paul spend two years languishing in jail with no reported advance at all. So we've got this kind of spirit-empowered, spirit-directed growth story, and yet growth is uneven. There's rejection too. There's not just rejection. There's hostility. There's dangerous opposition. Think about how many times the Jews of the day set themselves against the message of Jesus. They beat and imprisoned those first apostles in Jerusalem. They stone Stephen to death. They expel Paul from one city. They hate him so much they chase him to the next to turn people against him. They stir up a mob to stone him. They plot against him. They try to physically tear him limb from limb. And it's not just religiously driven opposition. There's opposition where business interests are threatened. There's opposition when civil power is threatened. There's internal opposition even. Divisions and factions within the church. Storms, shipwrecks, snake bites we've been reading about recently. That makes it seem like even nature is in opposition. But the thing we see through the whole book of Acts is it's still a growth story. It's a growth story through opposition. Growth in spite of opposition. Growth which sometimes comes in a rush, but often comes little by little. Of course, the question is, where does it end? I'm a numbers guy from a numbers point of view. Have you ever wondered how many Christians there are by the end of the book of Acts? 
I've definitely wondered, and uh, we're given some specific figures along the way. More often we just get general indications like many or lots. So there's no exact or easy answer. We know that the Jerusalem church numbered in the thousands. Uh, outside of that, it's likely most churches were small, meeting in homes, in rooms, in courtyards. If you think about how many churches there are and how large they might be, we can, we can take a stab. Um, one article I read suggested there might be as few as 10,000 Christians by the end of the book of Acts. 10,000 in the whole world 30 years after Jesus that's more than 120 we started with. It's a lot more than 120. But on a global scale, 10,000 is nothing. There's another author, Rodney Stark, writes about this. His estimate is lower still. He thinks by the end of the first century, there might be as few as 7,500 Christians left in the world. 7,500 because there's this huge wave of persecution that comes. 7,500 is something like 0.002% of the Roman Empire that they were a part of. One Christian in every 5,000 people. Even less than Scotland, that's like almost none. Frankly, it is amazing, if you think about it, that there's anything here at all today. Two millennia later. I guess that is my big point as we close the book of Acts. Although there's a, there's a measure of conclusion, right? In one way, the gospel has reached Rome, the power center of the world at this stage. There is a kind of conclusion there. But in another way, it reads like an unfinished story, particularly if you read like the last few verses, it just kind of runs off the end. It's kind of like nothing happens. It feels unfinished. I think that's deliberate. I think that's deliberate because it's not the end of the story. Winston Churchill, uh, one of the UK's prime ministers during the Second World War, he saw the tide of the war turning. He has this famous quote for us. I shall do my Winston accent. No, no, this is, this is not, not the end. No, I can't do that. It's not the end. It's not even the beginning of the end. But it is perhaps the end of the beginning. That's what he said famously in the war. But maybe that is perhaps the best way for us to understand the beginning of Acts. It's perhaps the end of the beginning of this story. It's the end of the beginning of a spirit-empowered, a spirit-directed story of growth across boundaries, story of growth through opposition. And that growth story is still rolling as a growth story that we have a part in too. We stopped halfway through Acts to reflect. So I knew we'd already been at it a while. And uh, we totted our reflection there, God still acts, if you were around at the time, thinking about how the story we read here two millennia ago, this is still the story we're living. We thought about how this God who acts turning lives around, well, we've seen him turn lives around. This God who acts um, meeting people who are seeking him. Sorry, I'm fighting with my slides today. Stay. Let's see if it stays this it really likes this slide. No, back. Stay. All right, all right. Fine, we'll do that. I have control. <clears throat> we say God still acts turning lives around today. God still acts meeting people seeking him today. We said God still acts uniting diversity today. We said God still acts making family today. And as we reach the conclusion of the same story, the big message is ultimately the same. The story we're still living out, 
this story we're still writing today. But if we've trained you well, you are actually asking the classic question, so what? Same story, interesting, uh-huh, like it. So what? Well, I've got three stills for you this morning, um, but not that kind of still. Three stills. <clears throat> still, spirit empowered. Think back to Jesus' assurance for his disciples right back at the start of the book regarding the Spirit. We thought about this already today. Acts 1-8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and then you'll be my witnesses. In the evenings, we've been studying our way through uh, one of this guy Paul's letters to his protege Timothy near the end of his life. What he writes there to encourage Timothy is still true for us today as well. Now the spirit God gave us, he says, does not make us timid, but gives us power. Gives us power, love and self-discipline. That's an encouragement to Timothy, but it's an encouragement to us too. This is true for us Still today, God has given his spirit to every true believer. The spirit empowers every true believer. This isn't the sort of power that means you can just let go and let God. You can kind of sit back, a power that works independently of you, almost without you, so you can take the day off, have a break. Instead, this is a power that works within us. It's a power that works through us as we act and as we speak. Being spirit-empowered is something that means we have a reason for hope when the work is beyond us, which is really good news. Because in case this escaped your attention, the work we have is plainly beyond us. Having a reason for hope as we try and share the message of Jesus with those around us is so important, right? Who's been in danger of giving up on that mission before you've even begun? Not just in danger, let's be honest. Who has actually been there? Me, for sure. Had something to say? Had someone to say it to? Had an opportunity to speak? But, zip. I've got so little faith that my puny prayers, my puny actions, my puny words are really going to make any difference that I figure I might as well not bother with them in the first place. But being spirit-empowered means we have a reason for hope. It means that we've got this power that doesn't belong to us but has been vested in us. And being spirit-empowered is a fact, not a feeling. You're not only spirit-empowered when you got, you know tingly tingly hair standing on ends you are spirit empowered as a fact all the time i say this to every follower of christ in the room and to myself as well the same spirit that raised christ from the dead is living in you actually i'm going to make you tell one another that tell one another that if you believe it ready the same spirit that raised christ from the dead is living in you This is actually what we believe. This is fact, not feeling. Here today, right now, we've got this mighty, life-changing power right at hand as the Spirit works within us, as the Spirit works through us. We're actually going to reflect on the role of the Spirit in Acts this evening as a part of our communion and prayer and worship time. So come join us at 5 p.m. if you want to think more about how significant this is. But that's my first still for you. Still Spirit-empowered. Second still, we're still crossing boundaries. Now the growth story in Acts, like we said, is not just numbers. The Spirit directs this expanding movement as it grows into new places, but it also drags into new cultures and across that critical line. The hope of Israel, 
It's the hope of the world. Now, some of these boundaries don't seem so daunting to us today. Others loom just as large as they did back then, perhaps even larger. And still, the Spirit directs us to cross boundaries because God is building for himself one new family. As he adopts each of us as his child, he makes us brother and sister, no matter what we were before. Now, here at Hope City, we are uh, a global church. It's an amazing and a wonderful thing that I believe God has done. As leaders, uh, back in 2019, we recognized one of our weaknesses was that we were not as diverse a group as we hoped to be. We weren't as diverse as the city we were hoping to reach. We're thrilled to see how that's changed over the past few years. Doubly thrilled because this is not, again, fruit of some clever plan we had or great strategy we carried out. This is something that God has done. Something we should treasure But we need to be honest that it's not always easy um, when we come from different cultures, when you come from different families, different ways of doing things. We've got different preferences, got different approaches. But we are brothers and sisters. We are united, united in Christ by God's grace. So we need to choose to work for unity. We need to choose to make room for one another and choose to reach out over those things that used to divide us. So... Let's get practical. If you only find yourself talking to people from your own culture, people of your own age, people who share your own interests after church, I want to challenge you. Recognize the Spirit is calling us and directing us across those boundaries. So today, choose to reach out to the other, the person who is different from you in some way, whoever you are. Meet your family. That's what I'd encourage you to do. But it's not just cultural or national boundaries the Spirit has directed us to cross. That that Jew-Gentile division was a profound theological boundary, which seemed impassable. They, They couldn't eat together. They couldn't be in the same house. How could they be one family? And yet the Spirit so clearly directed across that boundary, all the repetitions we talked about, right? Now, that is not our issue today. But I think it's fair to say there are plenty of other divisions in Christ's church, down Christ's church, down through the centuries. Sometimes divisions between truth and error, right? The Spirit leads us into all truth. The Spirit doesn't lead across all of these divisions. But sometimes the division is only over something secondary, not the fundamentals of the gospel. And at Hope City, what we believe for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of our mission, is that we should cross those sorts of boundaries. You can read about this if you're wondering, where does this come from? In the book of Romans, uh, in chapter 14, he's talking about people who have different opinions on what he calls a disputable matter. He tells them how to deal with one another. He says, why do you judge your brother or sister who has a different view from you? Why do you treat them with contempt? We're not meant to judge or treat with contempt or look down on people who have different views from us. Instead, here's what it teaches us to do. Accept one another or welcome one another into your home. Accept one another just as, and you know the pattern he gives for welcoming people different from you? Accept one another just as Christ has welcomed you. So if you think about the way Christ accepts us, despite all our flaws and mistakes, even if you think somebody else is wrong, perhaps you can accept to an extent. Just like crossing cultural boundaries, it is hard work to cross these boundaries in practice. Uh, But again, because we are actually brothers and sisters, actually from one family, actually united by God's grace, we choose to work for unity, to make room for one another, and to reach out over those lines that used to divide us. So 
still spirit-empowered. This is still true today. Still crossing boundaries. We're still called to that today into one family. Last thing, it is still a growth story. It wasn't much of a church um, by the end of Acts. Uh, whether it was 10,000 or double that or even 10 times that. It wasn't even a blip on Rome's radar. It was totally insignificant to the wider world. Just about everyone was just minding their own business, as if nothing had happened. Two millennia on, we'd be fools to say or see anything less than the Spirit starting there, a world-changing movement in this book of Acts. Who's at Hope City on official day one, Easter 2018? Raise your hands if you're a tw- Easter 2018-er. Have a look around, people. Can you see there are some Easter 2018-ers? There are, you can say me in the chat on the live stream if you were here in 2018 too. There's not that many hands. We have grown, right? Now, many of you who came and have joined us after day one, you were following Jesus long before You showed up and heard of Hope City. I'm so glad the path of your life has brought you into this part of God's family. That's a lot of how we've grown, and we're glad you're here. But that's not the whole story. Well, we couldn't and shouldn't say that we've seen big numbers of people come to follow Jesus for the first time. We have seen some. Uh, I don't know everyone's story, but I do know quite a few stories here. I know for some of you, you really have stepped into faith. Some of you have found your way back to a faith which you had in the past and are losing your grasp on. Some of you managed to keep going where otherwise you would have given up. And some, I believe, are still moving towards that faith even as you meet with us week by week. It's not big numbers, but it's some. That can sound pretty unimpressive. It can look pretty unimpressive. It's nothing like 3,000 new believers in one day. Wouldn't that be amazing? But also so problematic. Can you imagine like the, on earth you do on day two, you're like, I now need 400 people on the kids' rota. How do you get everyone PVG'd? This is terrifying. It's nothing like 3,000 believers, but it is something. Don't despise the day of small things. And the reason you shouldn't is because this is still a growth story. We're, we're a part of this story. Um, this is not the end of this story. So that's how we're going to close um, the book of Acts. We're thankful for the encouragement that this is a growth story. Uh, even if sometimes it looks pretty small. Even if sometimes it is very difficult. A spirit-empowered, spirit-directed growth story. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for giving us the book of Acts. It doesn't tell us everything that we might like to know about the early church, how it advanced, what they did. But thank you so much for what it does tell us. Please help us to hold on to these truths as we recognize we are a part of this same story. Hold on to the truth that you still empower us by your Holy Spirit. The truth that you are still uniting your family. The truth that you are still adding to the number of your family. 
Thank you that we get to be a part of this. Amen. What we're going to do now is just going to give you a minute to... um